People want more democracy, not less. It's time to talk progressive politics and practical solutions with Joy Silver. Outspoken from Radio 111. Now, here's Joy. Welcome, welcome. Thank you to all our listeners who are listening today. We are going to be talking about women who are determined to make a difference. And we're going to learn how the bills get paid for the state of California. We have with us today Malia Cohen. She is the Democratic candidate for state controller. She is currently the chair of the State Board of Equalization and is a former San Francisco supervisor. She has a broad range of experience and expertise that includes overseeing the San Francisco Employee Retirement System, where she led a successful effort to divest from fossil fuels and currently serves on the San Francisco Police Commission, the first of its kind designed to provide citizen oversight for policing in the city. Welcome, welcome, Ms. Cohen. How are you today? Thank you, Joy. Please call me Malia. I am excited to be here. Uh, Well, we're excited to have you, too. Uh, And I guess we'll have to ask you the first question, Malia. What is a state controller? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. That is the big money question. I wish I could have a little coin every time someone asks me that question or I answer it. So, you know, the controller's office is, it's really a beautiful and uh, dynamic position. It's the state chief fiscal officer. And the controller, she serves on on dozens of boards, uh, 78 to be exact. She serves on 78 different boards and commissions, um, which include the state lands commission, the state treasurer's retirement system excuse me, the state teacher's retirement system, the California public employee's retirement system. She sits on the board of equalization. She chairs the franchise tax board. She sits on the California pollution control financing authority, uh, the California debt limit allocation commission for those that are interested in, in, in affordable housing, um, the California alternative energy resource financing authority. So, I mean, like this is a huge huge seat Mm. and she really is the chief fiscal officer for the state of california so how do i sum all that up i would just simply say is that she pays the bills she pays the bills oh my gosh i I didn't realize how many uh how many commissions and committees and how active that particular role is what what made what made you decide to run for office and why did you decide to have a career in public service anyway Oh, well, you know, that story for me started a long time ago when I was eight years old. Uh, my third grade teacher, Miss Nicolosi, took us on a class, took my, my third grade class on a, on a trip. And one, and what we were doing is we were studying San Francisco. And so I was a public school kid and um, um, went on this trip and it really changed my life. We stopped at City Hall, which is a beautiful building. Beautiful. It's historic. It's got um, a big gold dome, and um, when you walk into the the, the 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 foyer, the building, there's a huge, huge marble staircase. I mean, it's just mesmerizing. Mm. Just a gorgeous public building. And I remember when I was eight years old, thinking, God, I would love to work here one day. <laughs> That's it. Very simple. <laughs> Not too fancy. I just want to work here one day. 
And then also on that tour, Diane Feinstein was the mayor. She talked to my class about the importance of public service. She talked about her job. She said how she loved it. It was the best job in the entire world. She got to help people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, Joy, I was sold. That was it for me. I just wanted to help people, and I wanted to work in a beautiful building. <laughs> Simple. Oh, well, you are currently uh, the chair of the State Board of Equalization. Can you tell us what that exactly is? Oh, yeah. So the State Board of Equalization is a very interesting uh, agency. Um, What we do is I set the rules um, and give uh, like legal opinions to assessors when they have questions about property and its property assessment. So the Board of Equalization is made up of four elected individuals that represent one fourth of the state of California. So I represent 10 million people, uh, 23 23 counties, and um, the state is subsequently divvied up on based on population. The fifth seat is the state controller's seat. And um, what we do is we manage an $80 billion, with a B, $80 billion property tax system. And those monies that we collect then go into um, fighting fires um, and go, uh, go into public education. So the the role that we that we that we play in uh, state government as well as local government is very very important. Uh, although not many people know our work that what we're doing, it's not that forward facing, right? I Meaning everyone knows what the governor is doing; they know what the senator and the assembly is that's doing. That's right. But the board of equalization is bringing in eighty billion dollars, and that's no small chunk of change. And that is really the backbone of um, many local uh, governments local county municipalities how did you get i mean you have a financial background i mean how did this how did this become something that was of interest to you yeah, I um, I I stumbled into it. Quite honestly, I mean, I wasn't like necessarily a math genius, but I held my own. I did pretty well. But I have a degree in political science with a concentration in public administration. And a lot of those public administration classes talk about public financing. Mm. Um, you're dealing with taxes. You're dealing with finances. You're dealing with fees, different fee structures, and then also a good old fashioned on the job learning and experience. I um, I also have a master's degree from Carnegie Mellon University in. Uh, in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where that program is heavily um, quantitatively focused. So we're looking at data sets and we're looking at numbers and we're looking at different correlations and causations and, and, um, and then coming up with policy solutions. So I have a, do have an analytical background by training, but I love, I just love the numbers, but more importantly, growing up in San Francisco, I just saw the, the disproportionate distribution of money. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what brings me to the table really is, is an as an effort to bring more equity to this conversation when we're talking about public financing. Mm-hmm. And as the controller, my job really is, is to be a watchdog, uh-huh. to be a front and vigilant to make sure that we're not having any wasteful spending. And I I hate wasteful spending. <laughs> that does make you a good uh, candidate for state controller then, I must say. <laughs> Let me ask, my ears perked up when you talked about affordable housing. and uh, was just, Oh, yes. I want to hear a little bit about the role in affordable housing that the state controller actually has, because that is, as you know, one of my things. 
Okay, so yes, I do know that. That's why I, that's why I peppered it in there for you, Joy. Oh, it's be a great conversation <laughs> between you and I. So there's a there's a commission called the California Debt Limit Allocation Committee, and this uh, commission and this commission is chaired by the treasurer. And so the treasurer and the controller they sit on this, and um, there's a few other folks that sit on this body. And it's important to note because this is the body that uh, developers, when they're developing a project and building, if you're building an affordable house housing development, you want tax dollars to go about doing it. So you go before this commission to ask for support, to get um, um, financing to help build your project. And so there's criteria, there's questions, you know, that, that must be satisfied. And so really I would be bringing my voice to the conversation. I want to um, minimize the red tape. I want more affordable housing development to happen across the entire state. And I want to make sure that we are building in um, rural counties, right, and rural areas, not just the big urban cores. I really want to ensure that um, um, that we're building housing for a workforce that is that is moving around and spending a lot of time in their cars, getting to their job site and and, and back home. Mm-hmm. So that is the the, the correlate the the intersection of affordable housing and uh, the controller. Well, that's a that's a critical thing, certainly from my point of view. And I'm interested too because you mentioned the state treasurer, and the can you um, elucidate a little bit about the relationship between the treasurer and the controller? Oh, oh, that is my favorite topic. Yes, because I have a perfect analogy. <laughs> okay. Um, so listen, the treasurer is in charge of money coming in to the state coffers, mm-hmm. and the controller is in charge of money going out of the state coffers. Mm-hmm. That is the most simplistic way to put it. The treasurer brings in money. Um, she invests money. She deals with our bond status that allows us to sell bonds on the market and uh, raise money for big municipal projects like our infrastructure. And the controller's job is to make sure that their money is in the account and that she's writing the checks, she's writing the bills, she's making sure that retired teachers get their uh, retirement. She's making sure that if you have a contract with the state of California and you're a vendor and you submitted your vendor, your invoice to the state, that you're getting paid. And I am a state employee making sure that I get paid. Mm -hmm. So that is an important function that um, these two women complement each other on. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put in a little pitch as a, as an affordable housing developer right now uh, because uh-huh. I, I noticed and I heard you say um, they're the urban areas and the rural areas, but let us not forget those smaller municipalities who have sort of a combination of needs between Absolutely. what is urban and what is rural. So we Absolutely. can't have a simple divide between, you know, the country mouse and the city mouse if, you, <laughs> if you're following me I know that. exactly what you mean, and I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're just calling attention to it to your listeners. And that is that I did not mean to imply that that that's the only thing that exists, but that is an example that I'm just using. But I agree with you that everything in between that includes our agricultural community. That's right. That includes um, you know a lot of um, um, rethinking, re envisioning how we are using um, um, defunct and decommissioned naval bases. Mm-hmm. I mean, like there's there's. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, land out there that we need to re-envision. We need to re-envision and repurpose yeah. in these times. That's yeah. for sure. How does the state controller take a leadership position? I mean, you've sort of described a, a bureau, bureaucratic functions, but how does that state controller? Uh, how do they take a leadership role? 
Well, the way any any leader does anything, right, by standing and present and not being afraid, being able to articulate the issues, having the data and the facts to back up the position. And, um, you know, when there's a time to vote, you vote Mm. and you vote accordingly and you don't buckle under pressure. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me um, what were and maybe still are the greatest obstacles or challenges you've faced in in your career? Hmm. Well, greatest obstacles and challenges. I think that um, that's a really good question. There are a few, <laughs> a few obstacles and challenges. Um, credibility. Yes. Sometimes coming to the table, being uh, a younger woman, uh, I'm a woman of color, mm-hmm. um, coming to the table, and it's been a traditionally older male-dominated field, um, it's been a challenge. I have had some success in overcoming it, but it just takes time. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're at, you work at something long enough, you build a rapport, and uh, you develop a track record. Um, so resting on my body of work and um, also having that confidence in knowing that I can do the job just as well as anyone else. I say that because we we did we're talking about how to assume a leadership position and standing in you know basically standing up for what you what you know are facts and know what's right and that's why I um, I asked you about some of those challenges and I think women uh, we're seeing some change certainly uh, we're seeing maybe in the state of California uh, given some of your endorsers um, maybe you want to mention some of those endorsers uh, let our listeners know who has endorsed you some of the women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, I am really excited. I've got just about all of the constitutional officers. So that means in terms of women, we're talking about the incumbent. Betty Yee has made an endorsement. She was a very early endorser. She was a large part of the reason in how I got into this race. Um, Eleni Kunalakis, our, ele- uh, our lieutenant governor. Dr. Shirley Weber, who is our secretary of state, has also made an endorsement in this race. Um, in terms of women's organizations, Planned Parenthood just announced their endorsement today. Um, Fund Her, which is an organization that um, helps women candidates run, uh, raise money. Um, 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 the teachers have made endorsements. CNA, the Nurses Associations, uh, has made an endorsement. SEIU, public sector, the largest public sector employer, employee mm-hmm. union, has made endorsement. I mean, we've got a lot of um, support. Um, the Teamsters have endorsed. The Carpenters have endorsed. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, yeah, I you do. have endorsed. <laughs> there you go. I do want to. I do want to um, uh, talk more about California and women who are determined to make a difference here in the state. Uh, and we will be right back with uh, Malia Cohen, the Democratic candidate for the California State Controller. Our podcast today is made possible by the generous support of My Little Flower Shop in Palm Springs. They are the premier full-service floral and event design studio in our beautiful desert cities. The staff has more than 50 years of experience designing, planning, and executing one-of-a-kind, high-profile social, corporate, and charity benefit special events. That experience includes the Academy Awards and presidential inaugurations. So whether you are planning a wedding, a birthday, showers, or anniversary parties, or you're organizing a big banquet, My Little Flower Shop uses only the finest flowers and will help you celebrate in style. Everyday arrangements, wedding bouquets, centerpieces, and amazing unique designs. Call My Little Flower Shop. Open daily, 9 to 5. The phone number is 760 778 
7111. That's 760-778-7111. And visit them online for visual inspiration, mylittleflowershop.com at 861 North Palm Canyon in Palm Springs. They're open for delivery and an official sponsor of Outspoken. And we are back with Malia Cohen, the Democratic candidate for the California State Controller. And we're talking about women who are determined to make a difference. And, well, uh, Malia, we're talking about what's happening. What do you think is happening here in California with so many women uh, moving forward in leadership roles and, and expressing their visions for the state of California? What is different about California? And why are we seeing women and women of color t- uh, making these advances here in this state? What is your thinking on that? Well, I would, I would definitely say that it is by no mistake. It has been very strategic and diligent um, diligently women have been working at it for the last, I'd say between 12 and 15 years. Um, and it's, you're just now seeing the eruption. So it may feel like, Hey, this is all of a sudden, but to tell you the truth, there've been organizations across the, not only the, the entire country, but here in the state of California that have been educating and training women methodically, um, for the, for the last almost 20 years. Mm. Emerge California is one organization. They educate and they train Democrats um, to run for public office. They demystify the process. Uh, Hope is another organization, H-O-P-E. They um, train and they target Latinas to um, uh, to run for office. Um, BOWAPA, which is Black Women Organized for Political Action, also has a training program for women, for black women, to get them into um, to elected public office. Also, it's a concerted effort of getting more women in the pipeline, so making ensuring that they are getting um, exposure to service on boards and commissions, and we have uh, the, the state commission on the status of women to be helpful on that. We've got a, a great governor in Governor Newsom and Governor Brown. They were instrumental in getting putting women into the pipeline. So it's been a very thoughtful and strategic effort. There's organizations statewide called California Women Lead. Mm. And that organization is also about training women on how to get on a board and a commission. And that is the, the most um easiest entry point into service, into public service. And it exposes a woman to many things. One, how to run a meeting, how to be on a, to understand and um, master Robert's rules of order, Mm -hmm. how to build a body of work. You're taking a set of votes. You're interfacing with the public. You have opportunities to write op-ed pieces and get your voice out there in, in the media. You're able to do podcasts. You're able to call into radio shows. I mean, there's a lot of, 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 of energy that has been happening, like I said, in the last 15 to 20 years to, to bring us to this point where we are. And we're not stopping. Mm-hmm. We are not stopping. We are going to continue with that momentum and continue it forward, not just in California, but across the entire nation. There are more women that are running now um, um, as a result of the presidential election in 2016. Right. I don't know if you want to go partisan, uh, Joy. No, but. That's, fi- no, that's <laughs> fine. I don't think there's a problem with that. I don't think anyone would be surprised to know where I stand. Certainly, this is outspoken. So feel free, Malia. Okay, so I think Donald Trump was a huge catalyst to get a lot of women back um, into paying attention and, and back into uh, positions of, of power. I think uh, from the conversations that I've had with women, they you, and they and they and there's a full range. I mean, you know, some women, Republican women, lament the fact that they lost their party. 
mm-hmm. and hate the direction that the GOP male leadership is going in. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the spectrum, they were motivated by Donald Trump um, and his policies and, and, and a desire to really to do their part. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are a lot of points and different catalysts that have triggered women and, and brought them back to the forefront. And I, you know, what I, I support and I applaud all. Mm-hmm. I say the more the merrier. Well, that, that's well. Uh, tell tell me about you. What you see as your pathway to victory? I know there's another Democratic candidate also running for this particular position. How do you see? Um, do you see yourself as having an advantage, or are you just out there earning every vote? Or what do you see as your pathway to victory in this uh, election? Well, the answer is yes to both of your questions. We are earning uh, every vote, talking to anyone that will listen to us, and we're being very strategic on, on our message and who we're targeting. Um, and that will certainly come in more earnest as we draw closer to the June 7th primary. Mm-hmm. So there's two contests. There's the June 7th, and then there's the November contest. Um, also, um, being, I do believe, resting on, on experience, is is what distinguishes me from the other candidates. I'm the only candidate that is has a statewide presence, the only candidate that has interfaced with the governor's budget and budget process, as well as the legislative process, to move um, policies forward. I have a, a, the deepest understanding of the controller's job on a statewide perspective. And it's more than just having the title controller. It's understanding she's on the franchise task force mm-hmm. serving um, on CalPERS and CalSTRS and, and as I mentioned before, the California Debt Limit Allocation Commission and, and the California Alternative Energy uh, Source Financing Authority. I mean, like, there's so many things on the Board of Equalization that she, the work that is being already done and being handled. And so I am confident to know that my policy work, my um, my fiduciary experience as, as a trustee and dealing with taxes and finances and fees. And then also just being a go-getter, overall common sense. These three things, I think, is a triple threat. Mm, I think you're right about that. You know, I, I want to uh, dial back a little bit because I understand you have a role on the San Francisco Police Commission. And this oh, is yes. particularly of interest to the listeners of this show. Um, okay. And to have that citizen oversight of policing, tell me the experience of mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and what you do now to serve in that role. Well, this goes back to when I was on the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco. I um, There was a shooting in, in my district in 2016. Uh, a black man was shot and killed by um, several officers. 22 rounds were actually released and in, in riddled this young man's body. Mm. 22 rounds. And he was having a mental break and um, was uh, killed. And I just got sick of it. I just got sick of the police department coming to me and telling me, you know, they feared for their life and that, you know, and I didn't have confidence in the in the um, in the investigation that that they were doing for their fellow officers. Mm-hmm. So I went to voters in 2017. I said, hey, listen, we've got a department called the Poli- uh, the Department of Citizen Complaint. Mm-hmm. I said, give me the authority. Let me change that into the Department of Police Accountability that would provide oversight to the San Francisco um, p- Police Department. And they would conduct the investigations uh, whenever there's an officer-involved shooting. And we would give these, this Department of Police Accountability audit function and oversight. Now, I want to talk about an audit um, a little bit later, but just planting the seed right now. Mm-hmm. 
Now, the Department of Police Accountability won voters over. We, 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 we got almost 70% approval. And so then in 2017, we got to work. We got the money allocated from the budget, and we stood up this department. And this department has been around since 2017, so for a handful of years, they've conducted an audit already, which has been incredibly revealing about where money is being spent from the San Francisco Police Department. Wow. And the reason why that is important is because an audit is the key, one of the key functions that the controller is doing. Mm-hmm. And when I talk about my experience, it's not it's just, just about taking an audit and understanding the findings, but actually implementing them. Mm-hmm. We got to take it a step further and close the gap. So in San Francisco, we have a civilian oversight body called the Police Commission. Mm-hmm. So now you have two bodies that provide oversight. You have a civilian oversight, and then you have a oversight with a team of investigators and lawyers um, um, watching the police department. So when an officer involved shooting occurs, investigators go to the site of the shooting and they gather information. They put, they package it together and then um, they work with the district attorney to see if there's going to be any kind of prosecution. Mm. And as of right now, as we speak, there's an open case right now, the first of its kind that DPA and, and, the, and then the department, I mean, and the, uh, the public defender have worked on that they are actually prosecuting an officer uh, officers in, in court now. Um, um, the officer is fighting the case that he used excessive force. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we will see what happens, but I'm, I'm proud because this is, this is the work that started back in 2016. And so now we're starting to see the fruits of our labor. This is incredibly important, uh, the, what you have outlined that works for the city of San Francisco. Do you think, and this is kind of uh, a, a big question, certainly for residents of Riverside County and other counties that are headed by sheriffs who have extreme views and are uh, taking activities in an extremist way. Do you think that a similar outline could work on a county level the way it's worked for the city of San Francisco? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Oversight, every every. Every other industry has oversight. Right. Lawyers, if they have, they have the bar, right? Mm-hmm. We have, if they're in violation of malpractice or malfeasance in their job, they get sanctioned. They get their license suspended. Something happens. Mm-hmm. If you're a doctor, you have a malpractice. Mm-hmm. You uh, kill a patient. Like, there, there are investigations that are independent that happen law enforcement is an interesting area it's the only area where it doesn't necessarily happen and not happen with um with with an independent with an end through an independent lens so i would say that it's about time that we start to provide that that level of oversight and absolutely and it should be a mix you should have civilians you should have uh people that understand the law you should have some law enforcement retired preferably you should have some judges you should have a, a really diverse panel of folks providing guidance to the oversight mm-hmm. so that it is fair and balanced. That's the only thing that we're looking for. Yes. Well, we're not I- looking to make cops' lives unbearable. We just want to make sure that they are following what's within the law, the scope of the law, and that they are not that they're held to the same standard as everyone else. Well, and there was a, a, a law that was signed by the governor that authorized the county's supervisors to be able to put an inspector general in place and oversight, at least That's for right. a start. So it's not a mandate. Well, we have to see that the only thing missing, though, was the funding for that. Yes. Not all counties have that, have that, have, you know, like L.A. County, yes. San Francisco County, we, are, we, can, we can afford to, yes. to make that kind of a change. Mm-hmm. But Siskiyou County? Mm-hmm. Can Monterey County, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I, um, 
I don't think so. Uh huh. So we definitely have to work on that. And I, I really like the way mm-hmm. you, um, you outlined that. And you can be sure I'll be talking to you about that one again. Uh, no problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to, uh, I want to let our listeners know how they can reach you, and where they can find out more about you, and how they can, um, well, find out where they can donate to your campaign. Oh. Thank you for asking. Um, it's very simple. My email is Malia, M-A-L-I-A, at MaliaCohen.us, as in United States. And my last name is spelled C-O-H-E-N, Malia Cohen. So you can go to um, MaliaCohen.us. That's my website. And check me out. Well, I'm we're also available on social media. Oh, well, we'll be looking forward to seeing you in Coachella Valley, hopefully in June with uh, other candidates that will be running, uh, Treasurer Ma, Lieutenant Governor mm-hmm. Kunalakis, and um, uh, Secretary uh, Weber. And so thank you so much for being part of Outspoken here at Radio 111 Podcast with Joy Silver. Thank you. Thank you.